Amen. If you are able, please rise as we read God's Word together. From Luke chapter 1, we're starting an Advent series on the various songs that we find in this time of the year. So let's hear the reading of God's Word from Luke 1, 67 and following. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people, and He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. The oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins, because the tender mercy of the Lord our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So far the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks for your word. We thank you that in your word there is power and there is truth. Holy Spirit, take your word. Take the words of this, your humble servant, to the hearts and the lives of these people gathered here today. May you be the one that molds, shapes, and governs our lives. We love you and we give you praise. We pray this in the strong name of Emmanuel. Amen. You may be seated. If your voice was taken from you for an entire year, and then one day it was miraculously opened up again, what would be the first thing you say? What if your voice was taken away from you for an entire year because you did not believe the Lord had power to accomplish all that He had promised to you? And then one day, your voice was miraculously opened up again. What would you say? What if your voice was your job? And you needed it to perform your job. And then it was taken away. And then one day it was miraculously opened up again. What would you say? What if your voice was taken from you for an entire year during a time when your spouse was pregnant with your child? And on the birth of that child, your voice was given back to you and your your tongue was loosed. What would you say? What would you say? Would you be bitter? Would you be bitter that your, your voice was taken from you for such a long time? Would you be angry? Would you be overjoyed? Would you be exhausted? What would you say? Zechariah was a priest who needed his voice. Zechariah was a priest who did not believe the Lord. Zechariah had his voice taken away from him during the time of his wife's, Elizabeth's, pregnancy. Zechariah was silenced for nearly a year. What would he say? Zechariah was silenced for his unbelief. But in his silence, the Holy Spirit worked in Zechariah's heart and and turned his unbelief to faith and turned his faith to praise. 
You see, during these months of his silence, he saw firsthand the power of the Lord because you see, Zechariah and Elizabeth were, frankly, let's just say it, they were old and they were past the years of childbearing. And so when the Lord visited him in a dream and said, your wife is going to conceive, it was a bit like Abraham and Sarah. It was kind of, I don't believe you. That's impossible. We are too old for this. And because of this unbelief, the Lord silenced Zechariah's voice. Yet over the course of these months in his silence, his heart began to change. What would he say? Zechariah, as a priest of the Lord, knew that it had been nearly 400 years. 400 years of the Lord's silence. 400 years since the Lord had opened up His voice. 400 years of waiting. 400 years of nothing from the Lord God Almighty. What would the Lord say when He opened up His voice? You see, when the Lord opens His mouth, things happen. When the Lord opened up His voice in this time, after 400 years of silence, He changed unbelief to belief. He changed belief to faith, and He turned faith to praise. When the Lord speaks, things are changed from nothing to something. You see, this is what the Lord does. Let's take a time out here. Can we turn off the pulpit mic? Is that, I think this is on. we got some pretty bad... Fit. 400 years of silence and the Lord speaks and consider the words of the psalmist as we understand that faith and praise are linked. That faith yields praise. It has to. It doesn't have a choice. The words of the psalmist say this from Psalm 108, verse 1. My heart is steadfast, O God. Faith. I will sing and make melody with all my being. I'm steadfast, so I sing. Psalm 5. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Faith. In God whose word I then praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And then Psalm 71. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. O Lord, from my youth, upon You I have leaned from before my birth. You are He who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of You. I have become a sign to many, but You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with Your praise and more glory all the day. When faith is secure in our lives, we open our mouths and praise spills out. This is how the Lord works. This is what the Lord does Faith yields praise. Praise is the natural and logical flow and fruit of faith. As Zechariah has his unbelief turned to faith and his faith turned to praise, so after being silent for nearly a year, his faith has been pent up. It had nowhere to go. It was aching and and itching to get out. And then on the birth, on the day of the birth of his son, John, the Lord opened the voice of Zechariah. And the natural and logical fruit of this faith then turns into this song that Zechariah sings. It turns to praise, for in his silence he knew that he was changed. What else could he do? 
but praise the Lord. What else could he do when he realized what had happened to him? That once he didn't believe that the Lord could do this. And then the Lord did it. And he opened up his mouth to praise. What else can we do? When we truly understand what the Lord has done for us and how He has taken our hearts of stone, our brokenness, and, and turned them into hearts of flesh, and gives us this gift of faith, as Paul tells us in Ephesians, what else can we do but open our mouths and praise? This is what Luke chapter 1, 69-79 is talking about. It's, turn, it's, it's talking about how the Lord turns our hearts from stone to flesh. And in this chapter of Luke's Gospel, we have front row tickets now to one of the greatest songs ever sung. A song of praise. A song of blessing. A song of faith. Zechariah in this wonderful song blesses the Lord for His salvation in the first few verses in 68-75. to And then he blesses the Lord for, for giving of His Son, for the provision of His Son in verses 76 to 79. So as we look at the blessing of salvation, we see that the blessing consists of three blessings in this salvation. So here's really the outline for this morning. We see a blessing for salvation, that the Lord is the author of salvation, that there's beauty in salvation, and there's a conclusion to salvation. And in the conclusion of this text, we also see that Zechariah blesses the Lord for the provision of his son. And then he praises the Lord because the Son brings mercy and the Son brings peace. So let's jump into this wonderful song and let's examine what it has to say about the world Zechariah lives in and about the world that we live in. So these verses are a treatise on salvation. They tell us of the greatest gift God has ever given. The greatest gift God has ever sent to earth, the gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah probably spoke these verses thinking something very tangible, very in his face all the time, because he was thinking salvation of of practical salvation from his enemies, meaning the Roman Empire and all that it had in his life. He was thinking that he wanted and needed the nation of Israel to be delivered from her physical and present enemies, to restore her, the nation of Israel, to its rightful place among the nations. This is what Zechariah was thinking. So when he speaks of salvation, he means temporal, physical, actual salvation from his enemies. So although these verses do not directly apply to us, for the last time I checked, I'm not looking out at Arlington, Texas, and I'm seeing Roman soldiers or any other occupied nation staring us down from weapons. Salvation is still needed for us. We can still draw principles and apply the principles to our lives. The main principle then through all this is that Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save us from our enemies. And our enemies, our greatest enemies, sin and death and hell. Jesus Christ came to deliver us from our enemies, from sin, from death, and from hell. So I want to look at these verses from that perspective of just what it is that Zechariah is singing about. How the Lord Jesus 
Emmanuel with us saves us from our enemies. Let's look at verses 69 and 70 first off. We often underestimate the magnificence of the plan of salvation that originated with our God. You see, because in these first few verses, we see that the Lord is the author of salvation. He is the one that organizes it and constructs it, constructs it and delivers it. This plan of salvation that the Bible clearly teaches us is unlike any other plan that's ever been created before. It's unlike any other salvation plan and any other religion that we could think of or read about. It's completely unique to the Lord God Almighty. For it's filled with grace and love. And only a God like ours could have thought it up. And only a God like ours could have thought it up and brought it to pass, right? One commentator says this about salvation. I'm just going to read a few sentences here, but it's it's a wonderful summary of, of what the Lord has done. Salvation is the masterpiece of eternity, he says. There were so many difficulties to be overcome. There were such infinite consequences to be considered. There were such gulfs to bridge, such heights to scale, and such immensities to compass. If God had been less than omnipotent, He would not have been strong enough Of less than omniscient, I do not think he would have been wise enough. Or less loving, would he have been sympathetic enough? There might have been a God strong enough to create a universe, and yet too weak to do this. To create the worlds, only a word was necessary. To do this work required more than a word. It required more than ordinary effort of a God. It required the dying anguish of an only son. Only our God could do that. The first words out of Zechariah's mouth are praise to God for what He has done and what He will do. For He is about to save and to redeem Israel from her enemies. He is going to ransom captive Israel. Deliver them from their bondage because He is the author of salvation. Verse 69 talks about what it looks like to be this author of salvation, right? It says to us that He's raised up. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Once again, this is a phrase that we don't use very often. What, what does it mean He's raised up a horn of salvation? I don't remember ever using that phrase in my daily vernacular. We just don't do it very often. So what does it mean when we come across these words? Well, it means directly one thing at least, but I would put forward to us it means two things. It's, it's, it's really widely understood and considered that the first thing that this is directly related to is strength. It's, it's the Lord has raised up a horn of salvation. It's, it's this carrying this idea of power and strength. And, and to me, it's these, this, this image of, of two bighorn sheep. Right as they as they back away from another kind of like old west gunslingers ready to ready to draw, and they rear up and they raise headlong and they crash into one another and the sound of the of the of the collision echoes through the canyons and the and the peaks of the mountains and we all know what that looks like and what that sounds like. They run head speed into one another. This is the picture of a horn of strength, right? That It takes this kind of power, it takes this kind of strength to overthrow the enemy. Think about the most powerful army in the world at the time, the Roman Empire. 
you would have had to have considerable strength and considerable resources to overthrow this enemy. And Zechariah is saying, my God has this strength. He's like the ram that crashes into the other and defeats the other ram. But I want to put one more image before you as well. Not only of strength, but there's an image especially from the words of a priest, for this is who Zechariah is. He's a priest of the people of Israel. A priest that understands all of these images and this imagery that the Lord is the horn of salvation. You see, because Zechariah is charged with calling the people of God to worship. And there's a special time in the life of Israel where in the Day of Atonement and the Year of Jubilee, and really pretty much every time the people were gathered into worship of the Lord. The shofar was blown. Now, I tried to blow this outside and I can't do it. But we'll try, right? See if I can get my trumpet blowing skills. Not really. You get the idea. Right? It's much louder than that, and it's really hard to blow this thing. But this was an instrument to call the people to the Lord. What is it? It's a horn. It's a horn of a male goat or a ram, a sheep, and this is calling them to worship. It's calling them to the salvation of the Lord their God. It's a shofar. Leviticus 25, 8 and 9, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet through all your lands. And he raises this horn. And the sound echoes through the peaks and the valleys of our hearts and our lives And he calls his people to return just as he did with the prophets of old, Zechariah says, some 400 years ago. What would the Lord say when he opens up his mouth? I'm going to defeat your enemies. I'm going to call you to myself. This is what the Lord says when he opens his mouth and he writes salvation upon our lives. But then in verses 71 to 74, there's beauty in this salvation. So not only does the Lord raise up strength and call us to this salvation, but He also gives us beauty in and of this salvation. In 71 to 74, the priest Zechariah shows forth his blessing by prophesying about the beauty of salvation. It's a very clear and present beauty which the priest tells us about. Two things are are true about the salvation the Lord is ushering into our lives. The first thing that we see in verse 71, if you look that up, and whether it's in your Bibles or your apps, is that we indeed are saved from our enemies. And in verse 72, that we would be shown mercy. The kind of mercy promised in the covenant, and that we would do the same thing to others. Just a bit of context to, to help us understand more, and I I think we all know the occasion of the political environment and cultural setting in which this story is taking place, but it's good to be reminded of these things yet again. The Roman Empire was the most powerful force in the known world. Her reach was vast and and powerful and, and, yes, even frightening at times. It squashed the rights and the privileges of foreigners and disregarded their estate. It was a violent and turbulent time 
especially for a Jewish person. The Roman Empire surrounded the people literally every day, a visible and tangible enemy. Salvation means to be freed from our enemies. These are the words of the prophet. Certainly Zechariah had this in mind when he sang these words. Perhaps even as he sang, he he overlooked a century of of Roman guards clothed in, in armor, armed with weapons and shields. Verse 71 then says that the beauty of the Lord's salvation is to be freed. To be freed from this enemy, from the hands of the Romans and into the hands of the Lord just as in the days of old. I think that Zechariah, I think Zechariah, must have been thinking of Moses in the Exodus as he considered what it meant to be freed from his enemies, to be freed from his chains, from his bondage. In addition, salvation is to be freed from those who hate us. Although these words are immediately relayed to the people of Israel, there's much for us to be gleaned as well. Our enemies may not be standing outside of our gates, outside of our garages. But many of our enemies infiltrate our homes and our living rooms. They may not have armor and weapons, but they stand at the gates of our hearts, don't they? For sin and death and hell are ever-present realities. They lie in the shadows ready to pounce, waiting to devour. These are not so tangible as the Roman Empire, but we know these enemies well. We know these enemies in our struggle against sin and death. We know these enemies because they take on faces like abuse and addiction, pornography, infidelity. We know these enemies as they take on faces like gossip, on lies, on cheating, on manipulation, on selfishness. These are just as powerful and perhaps even more threatening than any Roman centurion. The beauty of salvation is the Lord will and has taken their power away. Both the power of the Roman guard and the power of sin and death and hell. They still do, yes, have some pull on our lives, but in the salvation of the Lord, they have no ultimate power. The enemy has only but one truly powerful weapon, and that is death. And the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect death and died our death, the death that was meant for you and me, and He rose again on that third day, that glorious first Easter morning, the things of sin and death and hell are left with No power. Their edges have gone dull. And they cannot ultimately hurt or destroy. They have no more sting. They have no more victory. This is the beauty of salvation. And the sound of salvation is heard throughout the land as the horn is blown. As the horn crashes into its enemy and leaves it defeated. Just as if you saw on National Geographic or whatever, there's one sheep that wins, right? One crashes. And he stands victorious and the other cowers down the mountainside, defeated. And so too is sin and death and hell. The enemy cowers back down the mountain, defeated by the horn of the Lord. 
with this defeat securely in our grasp, we are told in verse 74, there is a wonderful conclusion of salvation. And really it's echoing the opening stanza of the verses that we read. The Lord has visited His people and redeemed them. And because of this, He is near to them, present, and He's never far off. We do not have to wait 400 more years to hear the word of the Lord, for He is with us always and forever. He is always near. Our enemies of sin and death and hell have no power, and therefore, with no enemies in sight, what does it say to us? What does Zechariah say? We can serve Him without fear. And to serve Him means to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the hope that we long for in the Advent season, isn't it? And whether you've been a Christian your entire life or this is the very first time you've ever heard this story, a question most likely is, is, is sounding in our brains and in our hearts, perhaps not as loud as the blast of the horn of salvation, but ringing nonetheless. How is this salvation possible? What, is, what does it have to do with me? How do I get it? How do I obtain it? What has to happen? The prophet, priest, Zechariah provides the answer for us as he continues to bless the Lord in this song. So he's blessed the Lord for his salvation. And then he says to us, I want to keep singing. I want to keep praising and blessing the name of the Lord. And I'm going to bless the Lord for the provision of his son in verses 76 to 79. There's a bit of an interesting play going on here in these three verses. A proud father looking upon the birth of his newborn son. A son who he didn't believe that he could ever have. A son that he thought was impossible to have. And yet, his wife conceived. And here lies this boy. An infant boy. Who he named John. And his father, Zechariah, looks upon his son John. And he says, Child, You will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord. So here, Zechariah clearly is blessing the Lord, yes, for the gift of his son John, the one who he didn't believe and his voice was silenced for nearly a year. The one whom the Lord worked in his heart and his life to to see the the, the, the miracles and the power of the Lord, to to turn his unbelief to faith and his faith to praise. He now looks over this little boy and he's praising the Lord for him. So yes, he's looking at his own son, his own son John, who grew up to be John the Baptist. But he's also looking to another son. He's looking to the Son of God. You see, his son prepares the way of the Son of God. So Zechariah is clearly blessing the Lord for two gifts, for his son and the Son of God. Zechariah knows that his song to the Lord is a blessing not for his son, but for the provision of the Lord's Son, the Messiah, the Son of God. And this Son of God, he will bring light and he will bring peace. Have you ever been lost in the dark? It's a terrifying experience, isn't it? Especially if you are unfamiliar with the place where you're lost. And you're going to be unfamiliar if you're lost because you don't know where you are. So it's a terrifying experience for all you know, one step further in any direction, and you could fall off a cliff, or you could get hit by a car, or whatever. 
Some tragedy is going to happen. If you're trying to get somewhere, you have no idea if the direction you're heading is the right direction or not. Oftentimes, the thing to do in those situations is to stay put. To stop. To wait for the light. To just sit down and wait for some direction, for some daylight. And this is what Zechariah has said the world has done. They've been lost in the darkness. And so rather than move about trying to find their way, they sit down and they wait. Directionless. They just sit there. Waiting for either death or light. The world, perhaps even some of us, don't know where to turn. We're just sitting here. They don't know where they should go. Some of us don't know where we should go. Where's truth? Where do I find it? We try various things. Some of us may try Buddhism, Hinduism, some type of spiritualism. Some of us try to find truth in the internet or alcohol or drugs or computer screens. Where's truth? What is truth? Many of us are just in the dark, waiting, wondering, lost. Sitting there in the darkness, waiting for death or for light. Zechariah says that the only light that we need comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, from the Son of God. For those who are wondering, where is truth? Truth is found in Emmanuel. In Jesus Christ. What is truth? Truth is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel. God with us. The day spring from on high. He is the dawn in the darkness. He's the one who brings light. For He is the light of the world. And He's the one that brings light, as Zechariah says, into the lives of the dying. Believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is the only way to understand light. All other attempts to receive truth or enlightenment fall pale because Jesus is the light in our darkness. And we receive this light when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts in our unbelief to move our unbelief to faith and our faith to praise and we open up our mouths. And this Savior, this light of the world, He's the one that brings peace. And this is what we all really, truly want, right? This is what we all really desire is peace. We don't want the worry and the war. We don't want the anxiety and the fear. We don't want the way of rebellion and and restlessness. We want the way of peace. The heart that is at peace is full of joy and contentment. It is at peace with God and peace with one another. It does not worry and it does not fret. It is not depressed. The life of peace is the life of light and joy. Doesn't that sound great? Of course it does. But how do we have peace? Zechariah and his unbelief was that unrest. He was warring with himself and with God and God silenced his voice. 
But as the Lord shed His light and the, and the sunshine from on high visited Him, see Malachi 4 that we talked about last week and about that the sun rose upon the dark world and shined its light on the face of the people. Here, Zechariah echoes that same thing, that same voice from Malachi. And he says, the sunshine shines on those with mercy and peace, the kind of peace that passes all understanding, the kind of peace that leads to faith, that leads to praise and to bless the Lord. That kind of peace is not found. It's given. The kind of peace is grace to the weary. That kind of peace is grace given to the tired, given to those who have been humbled by the reality of our brokenness. The kind of peace is given only one way, and that's through the Son, through Jesus Christ. For He's the one that brings peace riding on a donkey. He's the one that brings peace riding on a cross. He's the one that brings peace riding on the clouds of glory as He returns. Friends, this Advent season, my sincere praise, prayer is that we will find peace. The kind of peace that is found in the unmistakable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kind of peace that is defined, yes, by wars ceasing, relationships mended, and divisions united. But more than that, the kind of peace that understands the richness of our salvation. The kind of peace that, like Zechariah, who was unsure doubted and uneasy, was moved from unbelief to belief, was moved from belief to faith, and was moved from faith to praise. And so my prayer for us is that our mouths would be opened like the mouths of Zechariah to sing songs of faith. For the Lord has visited us in the person of His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for you are the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And you still in your grace and in your mercy have delivered us from our enemies. And you have visited us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we give you thanks and we give you praise. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.